that game thing set up. Be live in just a moment. Mic check. All right. Yeah, it's working. All right. Good evening. Sorry I wasn't here this morning. Um, I had some some things to take care of, but an opportunity presented itself, so I decided to go live now. Um, happy F Flannel Friday to everyone. Hope you all are doing well. This is Just Human number 152. And yeah, I was supposed to go live this morning, of course, like usual, and uh, Zilosophy over on Truth Social was giving me a little bit of grief saying I've been taken off every Friday for like four weeks in a row now. It's almost like I don't want to work Fridays. Um, he's kind of right. <laughs> um, I'm not sure it's four Fridays in a row, but it might be. Uh, last Friday was for, for fun. This Friday was not so much for fun. My, uh, my three-year-old has croup, and so that kept, that kept us up uh, last night, early this morning, and so I had to take off, take him to the doctor, and he got some steroids for inflammation, and he got checked out, checked out, and uh, got some tests run, and he tasted he tested negative for all the other stuff, you know, like flu and strep and RSV or whatever. Um, so 
he's doing way, way better. Way, way better. Um, yeah, he wasn't that sick, but he was sick enough he couldn't go to school and he had to go to the doctor. And um, while we were there, he kind of perked up a little bit, um, went back down. He was really up and down, but then... Um, this afternoon he took a long hard nap. I think that I think that fever broke and uh we just finished eating dinner and when I was last upstairs he was literally running circles around the dining room table and screaming and singing and being happy. So you know, very thankful for that and I I saw how happy he was and how things had settled down with him and so I looked at my wife and was like, "Hey, can I go stream real quick?" Uh, for about 90 minutes and she's like yeah go so i i ran down here and got everything set up as quick as i can i can hopefully i have things right and hopefully i can remember what all i was going to talk about because i had a whole stream planned out and then i've been all interrupted and i haven't thought about streaming whatsoever until about 15 minutes ago um so yeah croup is a, a little bit scary it's scary to hear your your three-year-old cough like like a seal you know, like sound like a seal. That's, that's kind of, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's one of those, it's one of those scary coughs that are out there, but, um, it's, it's all going, it's all going well. We're, we're, we wanted to be extra careful about it and, uh, all good. So to the show, welcome. Thank you all for being here. Thank you, JC bird, UK Neil. Thank you very much for the coffee money. I very much appreciate that. I, that. I love your graphic that you put up this evening over on True Social with the members of the band. Excellent graphic. I, I love that. Um, I have a number of things I want to talk about. And I'm trying, I'm really struggling to get my head back in the space it needs to be uh, for what I was going to what I was going to show you, but we'll just jump in and see if I can catch, get my brain to catch back up. Um I need to remind y'all that I'm going to be out of town next week. That's another reason why we want to take my kid to the doctor today. Uh, is I'm going, to, I'm going to Threadfest next week. We're going to road trip it and um, looking forward to it. We, uh, we love going on road trips together. And with kids this age, you can't make it very far at a time. Uh, but you can... It's a lot. It's 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 important experiences. I remember traveling like I have a nine year old. Now I remember being nine years old and traveling with my family, and uh, going on road trips. And those are some of my best memories. Um, and we like showing our kids the country. So and we do this about once a year. We try to go to Texas to see my family, and uh, my family's going to meet us there, and we're going to have a great time with them. So really looking forward to to it. Just reminder, I won't be streaming next week. I. I do think I'll try to go live on Monday, but I can't guarantee it. We're going to start packing and getting everything ready this weekend, and we're leaving out on election day. We're voting and getting out. So, all right, let's get let's get to the show. If you guys like the show, if you want to support what I do, justhuman.substack.com is the best way. This is the wrong screen. I'm very pro like that. There we go. Um... If you want to support the show, the best way is justhuman.substack.com or buymeacoffee.com slash justhuman. But there are other options. If you want to do a Rumble rant, that's great. I really appreciate it. And I'll read it 
as I can. I try not to miss any of them. And then also you can go to my locals and sign up in my locals. I'm not super active on my locals because there's just not much I can do with it because my, my streams tend to be so long. But hopefully one day locals will increase the amount of time that people can str stream onto it. And it'll make sense for me to multicast to locals as well. All right. We had interesting, uh, interesting reports out of the IG, uh, specifically the DOD's IG. Googleathu Malungu turned me on to this. I saw him post it on Twitter or share it on Twitter. And the first thing is it's a newsletter. So it basically just announced this is their newsletter for November 2022. And it kind of recaps what went on the previous month. And so if you go down to the bottom and you open that up, you see the first thing they list is what? What is it I've talked about a number of times? What is it I've brought up a number of times? DOD oversight of support to Ukraine. The Department of Defense Office of Inspector General continues to prioritize efforts to plan and execute timely and relevant oversight of the DOD support to Ukraine. Through visits to the region led by acting DOD Inspector General Sean O'Donnell and other senior leaders, the DOD OIG engages with stakeholders directly involved in the DOD support to Ukraine. These interactions help identify areas of highest risk and develop targeted oversight. Last month, the DOD OIG announced two new projects related to Ukraine, including an audit of DOD training of Ukrainian armed forces and an evaluation of security controls for defense items transferred to Ukraine, meaning that the weapons and ammo and all that stuff that we've sent over there. In addition to planning oversight work, the DOD continues working on eight ongoing projects and recently issued an evaluation of the DOD's planning and accountability of equipment and support provided to Ukraine. In other words, DOD is saying we're going to we're going to audit all this support going over to Ukraine and we're going to make sure that it's not getting funneled to a bunch of people that it shouldn't. Just good. It's an accounting of what's going on and I'm happy about that. It also lists a couple other these are all like bullet point things this thing this uh document's 8 pages long. So it's not very long, but it talks about audit of Department of Defense training of Ukraine forces. That's where it is right there. Evaluation of DOD's accountability or support Ukraine. And you scroll down, audit of defense, Department of Defense, federal mall purchases, blah, blah, blah. Quality control, blah, blah, blah. Evaluation of the DOD processes and procedures to alert DOD officials in the event of the presidential emergency satchel is lost or stolen. What is this? You can click on these things. And when you do, it takes you here. Report from October 14th, 2022. Evaluation of the DOD processes and procedures to alert DOD. In the event the presidential emergency satchel is lost, stolen, or compromised. The presidential emergency satchel is commonly known as the nuclear football.
what would prompt the DOD Inspector General to want to review the procedures having to do with the nuclear football? And this report is classified, which that's not surprising. So we can't see it. But the, the little blurb right here, it says this evaluation determined the extent that DOD processes and procedures are in place and inadequate to alert DOD officials in the event that the presidential emergency satchel is lost on or compromised. This evaluation will also determine the adequacy of the procedures the DOD has developed to respond to such an event. Dawson S. Field immediately commented, J6 and the risk to Pence's nuclear football, is that what this is about? And he further said, did J6, and so he first he commented, so why did they need to do an OIG evaluation of the alert processes in the presidential emergency satchel, aka the nuclear football is last lost or compromised? This seems really important, especially in relation to suspicious activities related to the J6 coup attempt. Did J6 include a plan to order a nuclear launch and blame it on Trump? Now, that's something I've never really thought about, but was that a factor in this? Was there a, was it a part of the plan, a part of the plan of the, the coup plotters who plotted the coup against Trump? That's what we mean by when, when, when Dawson says coup, when I say coup, um, I refer to J6 as a coup attempt. And I also refer to J6 as an insurrection attempt. I know a lot of people don't like that. They say J6 was a fake insurrection. It was a fake coup. Totally understand why you say that. But when I say J6 was a coup, I mean that the deep state, the rhinos, the Dems staged a coup against President Trump. And when I say an insurrection happened on J6, I'm saying that the deep state, the rhinos and the Dems and groups like Proud Boys and Oath Keepers staged an insurrection against Trump. So it's part of their plan to get hold of this nuclear football because they got really close. They got really close. You guys may remember I've gone over this article before on my show. Uh, there's a couple things about it I'd like to point out. Um, one... The author of it is William M. Arkin, and William M. Arkin is the guy who wrote the very famous, amongst our community, article way back in March of 2020, which gave us or seeded the idea that devolution was in play, that devolution was something that Trump was considering back in March of 2020. And I have it some, it's somewhere in his scroll right here. He doesn't write that many articles per year, but he's someone that I pay attention to. I've gone back and he's he's detailed a lot of. Uh... Actually, I could probably find it easier if I just did this. There it is. This article, this article that seeded the idea of devolution and continuity of government being used, uh, that Trump was considering this in March 
of 2020. He even gave names of the plan, such as, what was it? Granite Shadow and a couple others. And it talks about what plans Trump was looking at in the event that Washington, D.C. was crippled due to a number of different factors. So anyway, when an article comes out by William Arkin, I pay attention to it. And this is one I've gone over several times. It's from January 3rd of 2022. Exclusive secret commandos with shoot to kill authority were at the Capitol. And it details a story about how the acting AG Rosenstein, or Rosen, not Rosenstein, Rosen, the acting AG put together a team of a, a quick response force, including military units and the, the FBI's hostage, hostage rescue team, and staged them just out of D.C., probably at Quantico, and had them ready to go to be called in and had them pre-alerted to what conditions they would be called in um, for, which would be to respond to something violent. They would have authorization to engage. And they were on standby. And there is a factor where this is kind of normal for our military and for FBI, DOJ to have a response team ready during such a time as a big meeting of Congress or um, a, a joint session or the... Um, the swearing in ceremony on the 20th, like when those big when state of the union, when big things are happening, they tend to have more assets nearby just in case something goes wrong. You know, it's just defensive planning, but this is different because it says, as it says right here, Rosen made a unilateral decision to take the preparatory steps to deploy justice department and so-called national forces. There was no formal request from the U.S. Capitol Police, the Secret Service, or the Metropolitan Police Department. In fact, no external request from any agency. The leadership in justice and the FBI anticipated the worst and decided to act independently. The special operations forces lurking behind the scenes. Quote, I believe that DOJ reasonably prepared for contingencies ahead of January 6th, understanding that there was a considerable uncertainty as to how many people would arrive, who those people would be, and precisely what purposes they would pursue. He stressed that his department, quote, um, no frontline role, played no frontline front line role with respect to crowd control. They were focused on high-risk operations. The contingency units meeting in, on January 3rd included the FBI's hostage rescue team, FBI's national render safe team, an FBI SWAT team from the Baltimore field office, special response teams from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and Explosives, and U.S. Marshal Service Special Operations Group. And I've speculated before, uh, also they were pre-deployed. Um, they were staging out of Quantico, 30 miles south. And the article says that if a WMD or terrorist attack occurred, the units were to move via helicopter to the site of the incident. The activation of the catastrophic response units operating under plans already approved by President Trump. Operating under plans already approved by President Trump. I wonder what plans they're talking about. The 350... Strong hostage rescue team was established in 1983, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
So anyway, I've speculated before that what was going on with this team is that they had intel of threats on J6 and not the typical type of threats that they'd be concerned about. They had information about credible threats, such as foreign actors being present on J6, such as Oath Keepers and Proud Boys staging weapons and, and trying, planning and trying to start a civil war, planning and trying to interrupt the count, planning and trying to get into the tunnel system. We learned after this article came out, I think it was late spring of this year or early summer, we learned that um, members of, I think it was members of Proud Boys had been um, downloading and uh, searching for maps of the tunnel system in DC and figuring out when um, or where the tunnel system exits and entrances were and what the evacuations plans for uh, what the evacuation plans were for members of Congress in the event that J6 counting got interrupted. And the reason for that is because Proud Boys and Oath Keepers wanted to catch members of Congress and hold them hostage. So something like that would have been a reason for this team to be on standby. But did they also have some idea or some concern about the nuclear football. Trump's at the White House, so the nuclear football they would be concerned about would be Pence's. So, I was looking at this, and then Brian Cates texted me, and he said, hey, weren't there, he saw this, he saw this, that I shared this DOD report, or IG report, and Brian Cates texted me and said, hey, weren't there some Ukraine, Ukrainians at J6? Do you have those articles that, um, that detailed that? And I was like, yeah, I do, actually. I have those articles. And Rick, right here, excellent plane tracker, um, he sent me one of the articles, which is actually a copy of this one. And this is an article I've gone over on the show before. And actually, it's a really good article. Um, I read on the show and got a great response to it because it details all these people. It's by a guy, George Eliason, who lives in the Donbass. And he was contacted to confirm that this person was actually Ukrainian. Like, yeah, this guy's Ukrainian and he's wanted by Russians. Um, and he was at J6. And there were a number other of other Ukrainians that are known Ukrainian actors and not just people with Ukrainian citizenship or who have lived in Ukraine, people who have been in the military in Ukraine. And they were at J6 taking selfies with people like freaking Buffalo Horn dude. This is a picture of the guy in Ukraine. Brian also, so Brian shared this and he, he included part one and part two. And, you know, this is, there's, this makes me really can seriously wonder if that was part of their concern 
was these foreign actors were there and they were concerned about them getting hold of Pence or any other congressperson, but especially Pence because Pence's staff would have his presidential satchel with him. And there's not just that one guy. There were a number of Ukrainian actors there. And since then, I've loosely kept track of the J6 prisoners. And I don't want to, um, I don't really want to open that can of worms about J6 prisoners. That's no offense. I should have used a different term. Um, I don't really want to peel back that onion of J6 prisoners. Because I think that vast, vast, vast majority of people, vast majority of people who have gotten in any kind of legal trouble for J6, perfectly good people, patriots who meant well, did not mean to cause any harm. They were impassioned. They were caught up in the moment and they, they didn't mean to do anything wrong whatsoever. And what happened was Oath Keepers and Proud Boys and these Ukrainians and possibly other foreign actors and deep state assets, swamp assets, wanted them to do wrong. And it was always part of the plan of those groups to get as many MAGA patriots, innocent MAGA patriots as possible inside as many federal buildings as possible. They planned a number of federal buildings they wanted to get at least 50 people into. Um at least 50 people into each of those buildings and they wanted to hold them hostage there. And they wanted to do it as a, like they were, these are, these are terror acts of terrorism that they wanted to commit. And Matt, good MAGA people were going to be used as pawns in their, their scheme to do this. So, but among some of the prisoners that I have seen, that I've looked at, like the ones that have actually gone to trial um, or that have had court cases, not the ones that have got simple trespassing, the ones who have gotten more than simple trespassing and have actually been in jail. A number of them are Ukrainian immigrants or they have Ukrainian names or someone in their immediate family is a Ukrainian immigrant or is somehow connected to Ukraine. And I've noticed that not once, twice, three or four times. I've noticed it more than that. So, there's a lot of, in my opinion, there's, like I said, most J6 prisoners, vast, vast, vast majority, I think innocent people who just got caught up in the moment, never had any attention to doing anything wrong. But I think there's also an, a number of them who actually did mean harm. And I don't think that they're American or that they had America's best interest in mind or Trump's best interest in mind. So... This DOD, I, this IG report makes me think of all of those things. It makes me think of all of those things. And there was another, I'm not sure if that video is here. There is, let me see. It might be that CNN report that I shared earlier. Where is it up in this stream? In this, right here. This is going to be the one. There's that guy, and by the way, that looks like Michael Yawn, but I'm not sure that it is Michael Yawn. He may just that may it's in a war zone in Ukraine, I think. So 
it might be he's this guy's trying to get a photo with as many other people, you know, taking a selfie with Michael Yawn. Um, anyway, he shared it. Um, Rick shared this thread with me that proves this guy is part of Ukraine forces, not just a Ukrainian part of Ukrainian forces and was there on J. I mean, why would a Ukrainian soldier be there on J6 invading the capital? And you got all these videos out there. Uh, like Brian posted one on that thread of his that I pulled up right here. Brian posted one of the videos where you can allegedly hear them speaking to each other. See, I got I got nothing nice to say about anybody doing something like that. I got nothing nice to say about anybody breaking into the Capitol. Anyway, I'm going to stop watching that because I'm going to get mad. <laughs> uh, what I wanted to show, though, is check this. Check this. This is Pence, and in the room with him is that satchel. And he's just... They're going to show this clip of how close they were to being in the same room as Pence. And were they going for that? Were they, were they, were they rushing into the building to try and get Pence's satchel? Oh yeah. Sorry guys. Sorry guys. I need to, uh, put it. Sorry about that. And the mob was looking for vice president Pence because of his patriotism, because the vice president had refused to do what the president demanded. And Sorry about that. All she was saying was that the rioters are moving in. It's the same ones we saw earlier and they're moving close to Pence. But the main thing is for you to see, that 
these doors right here go to the room where Pence was in. That Pence was in. And they walked, they arrived there just minutes, just minutes after he had been moved out. So they were literally minutes away from getting access to it. And that was one of their goals was to capture Pence. That was one of the primary goals of Oath Keepers. So... Anyway, I wonder if that's what prompted this review. And then we've had all these stories about the nuclear football and um, with Trump and did, did Trump take the nuclear football in Mar-a-Lago, all this kind of stuff. And there's something to that report. I would love, love to see this report. One more thing that came out of uh, this oh, this newsletter. The Inspector General plans to do an evaluation of combatant commanders. October 24th is where this notice is dated. If, subject, evaluation of combatant command, military deception planning. We plan to begin the subject evaluation in November 2022. The objective of this evaluation is to determine the extent to which the combatant commands have effectively conducted military deception. MILDEC planning in support of ongoing operations. We may revise the objective as the evaluation proceeds, and we will also consider suggestions from management for additional or revised objectives. We will perform the evaluation of the U.S. Africa Command, Central Command, Indo-Pacific Command, and US, U.S. Special Operations Command. We may identify additional locations during evaluation. Please provide us with a point of contact for the evaluation within five days. The point of contact should be a government employee, a GS-15, pay band equivalent, or military equivalent. Send the contact's name to this address. You can obtain information from the Department of Defense Inspector General. Now, I don't know how often such an audit is done. Got no idea how often an audit like this is done of combatant commanders. But I certainly find it interesting that at this time period with all we've been going through and the changes Trump made to the military and the plans we think he put in place and the plan, well, the plans we know he put in place and the plans we think he activated in December of 2020. Pretty interesting that there's a MILDEC evaluation going on of these specific combatant commands. Pretty interesting. I really don't know what to make of it. It could be that it's not really that big a deal and it's totally routine, but it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that it's routine or as per our policy of every five years or anything like that. It just says, this is what we're doing. We're auditing the, and it's not, it's not a, uh, an evaluation of the commands themselves. It's specifically an evaluation 
The objective of this evaluation is to determine the extent to which the combatant commands have effectively conducted military deception planning in support of ongoing operations. Very interesting. This whole this whole thing is interesting. Um there's a few there's a few more things in here that are that kind of stand out to me, but I'm gonna go ahead and skip to the next subject. But if you're looking for this, it's it's on the defense.gov website and it's also on my socials if you want to read it. Um let me pull out of that. I'll go ahead and hit this. I got it up on screen. Jane Lee or Jana Lee. They're suggesting that I put the date in the title to get around this issue with rumble and because of the way rumble posts videos. That's a good suggestion. I just don't want to do it because, um, when you when you do I'm gonna show y'all um when you load the name of the show it puts the name of that show in the URL so I'm not sure I want the name and the date in the URL maybe I do I don't know. That's one of the reasons why I don't put the name, like put the uh, the title of the show with all of the stuff I'm going to talk about in it. One, because I don't always know exactly what I'm going to talk about or how to title it because I kind of go with the flow and make it up as I go along. I have a pile of stuff and then I, we just see what we get through. Um, but the other thing is I like having the, top, the URL be really short um, for when I post the replay link yet, uh, later. But that is a really good suggestion and I appreciate it. Um, I don't find that the the date not matching bothers me that much. I don't think it causes that much confusion. But what I would prefer is if Rumble just got better. <laughs> that mm. what I prefer if Rumble just improved. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> Thank you, Rumble. No, B28, what I'm telling you is that whatever you put. Whenever you whenever you load the video, whatever you put in the title goes in the URL. That's what I'm that's what I'm telling. It, it'll be in the URL, whatever you put there. All right. So I'm actually having trouble if I know I covered this was gonna happen, uh, but I don't remember how much I covered it. Uh but Cash Patel. I think I covered it in a bonus hour that I deleted. And then in the next bonus hour, I didn't actually, I decided not to cover it. Um, so DOJ has been wanting Cash Patel to testify to this grand jury about the Mar-a-Lago raid. Okay. The, the grand jury case that led to the Mar-a-Lago search warrant. And they had him last month. They had him before a, a grand jury. And he pled the fifth. Well, actually, the grand jury. They had him before the grand jury that's related to the Mar-a-Lago search warrant. And he pled, he pled the fifth. And they were upset about this 
because the, the prosecutors were because they felt like he didn't have any reason to plead the fifth because he wasn't being looked at and the questions they were asking him. None of them would have led to him being, you know, upset or anything like none, none of them would have led to him being uh, at risk, not upset at risk. So they went to the judge and I think it was Andrew Weissman. Yeah, that Weissman. He said, he said, I've in 20 something years, I've never heard of prosecutors doing this. They went to the judge and told the, and tried to get the judge to order Cash Patel to testify to the grand jury and to waive his Fifth Amendment rights. And the judge was like, heck no, I'm not doing that. He has the, he has Fifth Amendment rights. And they're like, gosh, so all right, fine. So what they did was they gave Cash a limited immunity agreement. Well, reportedly, anyway. Cash Patel, a loyal aide to Donald Trump and former White House deputy faced that former White House deputy faced questions before a grand jury Thursday, that'd be yesterday, as part of a criminal investigation into the president's possession of classified records. I take issue with their characterization. Nowhere in any of the filings does it say that they are after President Trump for his possession of the filings. Nowhere in any of the filings does it say anything about President Trump being the target of this criminal investigation. Anyway, national security prosecutors asked Patel about his public claims this spring that Trump had declassified a large number of government documents before leaving office in 2021. That would probably be the May 2022 article that I included in my Substack on this subject. Patel was also questioned about how and why the departing president took secret and top secret records to Mar-a-Lago, his part-time residence and private club in Florida, according to a person with knowledge of the session. Well, this person doesn't have a lot of knowledge because most all these records, there's about a hundred or so of them, and most of them are empty folders, something like 47 empty folders that are marked classified. Patel, a former federal prosecutor, is considered a key witness by the Justice Department in large measure because of what evidence he may provide in defense of Trump's retention of the records, according to people familiar. Again, according to people familiar. Blah, blah, blah. Who spoke on condition of anonymity. Of course they did. Of course they did. Investigators did not expect Patel to offer evidence implicating Trump in possible crimes, these people said. Okay, you know why? Because Trump didn't commit any crimes. Because Trump's not under investigation. But they added that the government badly wanted his firsthand account under oath for any declassification decisions made by Trump. Patel declared in media interviews in May and June that he was present when Trump decided to declassify material, though he brought up the subject in the context of investigations of any connection between Trump and Russian election interference or past investigations involving Hillary Clinton and did not mention the Mar-a-Lago probe then in its early stages. While Trump has publicly said he declassified material he brought to Mar-a-Lago, his lawyers had studiously avoided making such a claim in court filings, arguing only that he might have done so. This is true. National security lawyers or national security law experts interviewed by the Washington Post say prosecutors appear to have amassed evidence in the case that would meet the criteria for bringing charges against the former president. Okay, again. National security law experts interviewed by WAPO say prosecutors appear 
to have amassed evidence in the case that would meet some criteria for bringing charges against the former president. This kind of reminds me of that document that went out in, uh, what was it, October of 2020, saying that 50-something Intel experts had said the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinfo. So they've gotten national security law experts. Right, right. Right. They're probably all people that Rush Limbaugh either did or would have a nickname for. I mean, and probably Trump does too. This is this is something that's really bugged me because people keep coming to me and saying, like they'll leave comments um, on my shows or on my true social saying, hey, I just saw, the news just said that the prosecutors have enough evidence to indict Trump. Like, no, they say they're, they're guests that they pay to come on their shows and be in their articles and who hate Trump use all these qualifiers like appear and some criteria like they, it's all these qualifiers because they don't actually know. The government has seized about 100 documents with classified markings. That is correct. There we go. Finally, some honesty here, some, some truth. Classified markings that remained at Mar-a-Lago this summer after Trump and his legal team responded to a grand jury subpoena. That's not the only subpoena they responded to, by the way. He was instructed by the former president to move some boxes. People familiar with the matter told the post and surveillance video obtained by the government shows this. All right, Patel's grand jury appearance was his second in less than a month. At his first appearance in October, he asserted his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination, according to people familiar with the matter, who spoke on the condition of anonymity to discuss the situation. Prosecutors argued he was not in legal jeopardy and therefore could not take the Fifth, but a federal judge disagreed with the government. Prosecutors ultimately decided to grant Patel limited-use immunity. The people familiar with the matter said, meaning he could not be charged for a crime based on what he said in the grand jury as long as he didn't lie. That doesn't mean his test. Now, here's this is Patel being smart, right? I mean, I don't blame Cash Patel whatsoever for being like, I ain't going to go talk to these guys unless I know that I am protected. I'm not going to tell them anything unless I know that I have some sort of legal protection. Can't blame him for that at all. But this paragraph is the kicker. That doesn't mean his testimony will necessarily hurt Trump. It's quite possible his answers could be helpful to the former president. So we had to go. Let's count. We got the headline and then the subtext here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. We had to go eleven paragraphs in before WAPO decided, yeah, we better tell our readers that Cash Patel's testimony probably won't hurt Trump. In fact, 
his answers could be helpful to the former president. <laughs> if you guys haven't been paying attention to WAPO, I don't blame you, but WAPO and a number of other outlets have been building up for their audience for months now that Trump is going to get indicted and all the people are bailing on him. All of his close aides are getting defense lawyers and they're, they're, they're trying to create distance between themselves and Trump because they're appalled at his handling of national security documents. And then you had that New York Times piece last week or the week before about how prosecutors are eyeing Cash Patel and he's said to be pleading the fifth because he's worried about himself, but prosecutors are going to offer him an agreement, an immunity agreement, so that he'll, he'll turn on the former president, blah, blah, blah. was never going to happen and 11 11 paragraphs in we finally get the truth that doesn't mean his testimony will necessarily hurt trump it's quite possible his answers could be helpful to the former president so Cash, you remember Cash said, remember, or no, not Cash said, remember Trump said, besides Cash being put in charge of, you know, of like representing Trump's records and whatnot back earlier this spring, I believe it was Cash who said that Trump's put him in charge of like D class or whatever, of like disseminating information. And uh, Tamray the other day, or like last week, I think it was, described, she she asked me in chat, she's like, is Cash Patel an info op? I'm like, yeah, he is. Cash Patel is an info op. And I just wonder if Cash Patel, like this is him leveling it up. Like he's leveling up his role for the former president. And whatever he said in this grand jury Man, I can't, I can't wait to read it because I think this grand jury is going to produce an indictment not against Trump. I think it's going to be against others. I don't think it's going to be against Trump. Now, and I've been saying that this whole time. I've been saying this whole time. I'm sticking to it. I do not believe that DOJ is investigating Trump and I don't believe they will, um, they will indict him. I don't, I don't buy any of that. I don't. Um, if I'm wrong, then I'm, I'm going to be looking up recipes for crow, you know? <laughs> uh, and that'll just be it. And I'll just have to be like, well, I was wrong. And for the first time ever, the media stories after six plus years of the media writing stories about how DOJ is after Trump, there was finally a time that they actually were after Trump. So it took six plus years, but the media was finally right that the, the DOJ was after Trump, but I just don't see it. And I've read every filing in the cases now. Well, that's not true. That's not true because there are still last I checked. This one still sealed. This one's still sealed. This one is still sealed. And this is the one I've read all the filings in. 
the filings that matter matter any anyway. There's a lot of BS filings in it. Uh, but this one's still sealed, and we know that this one has to do with Mar-a-Lago. It says so in one of the motions denying it to be unsealed. It says it has to do with the Mar-a-Lago search warrant, and this is a different search warrant than this one. These are two different search warrants. And then these two for a pen register, which is data pad, like what's typed into a data pad. And then this one, which is for telephone records. These two were signed in between these two on the same day by the same judge. So I suspect all four of these have to do with a raid at Mar-a-Lago. So I can't honestly say I've read every filing that has to do with the Mar-a-Lago raid because there's these other three search warrants that are sealed. But yeah, I'm sticking I'm sticking by it. They've they're not after Trump. They're after somebody that Trump has evidence on and it has to do with those classified docs that Trump took with him. All right, next next thing. And I don't I kind of got I kind of talked myself out of um the calm I thought might have been going on. But I'm going to go ahead and present it anyway, but I'm going to say that I've, I'm going to present why I've kind of talked myself out of it too. So, uh, there is a, there's now a TFR temporary flight restriction over Mar-a-Lago, which isn't that unusual except for it goes all the way until next May. I think it is. Uh, and that's pretty weird. That's, that's pretty weird. Let's go Brandon over on a uh, foxhole says, yeah, quicksand. That's right. Trump is quicksand. That's right. So there's this temporary flight restriction over Mar-a-Lago and it runs all the way from Halloween to May 31st. And that's pretty weird. And I watched a, uh, Rick, the guy I mentioned earlier, this is Rick, and uh, he's on True Social, and then this is his uh, Rumble account, which is best movie, bestfreemoviefinder.com is the name of it. Um, but if you look this up, he's great. Uh, I love Rick's flight tracking. He's my, he's my favorite flight tracker, and uh, he's a nice guy, too. Um, he's fun to interact with on True Social, and dude's experienced. He... He covered this, and one of the things he showed, which he's not going to mind if I do this. Hold on. I think it's this episode. Let me see. I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's this episode. I may have bookmarked the wrong one. Oh, no, it's this, it's this next one. It's this episode. Yes, it's this episode. So, this is going to be the calm that I'm not so sure is a calm. And I'm, but I'm going to go ahead and show it anyway. So anyway, we were looking at this, this, uh, ah, go stop doing that. We were looking at this flight restriction and Joanne coach, one of my chat members, who's awesome. She posted these graphics of it showing that it's right over Mar-a-Lago. October 31st, all the way to May 31st. 
And Just Say Win was like, hey, you know what? Pretty interesting here. There being a VIP TFR, temporary flight restriction, over Mar-a-Lago nails the Delta for a drop, drop 2400, which says eyes on VIP Patriot. It's a VIP TFR. Well, that's pretty interesting. You know, that's a couple connections there, which makes you go, hmm, that's interesting. So I went to watch Rick's video on it. It's from November 2nd. And this aircraft, this refueler, its call sign is Rummy 22. And where does it come out of? San Francisco. Or San Francisco area, anyway. So I kind of wonder, we know for a fact that sometimes the military does some comms with aircraft. And... I kind of thought, hmm, I wonder if that's a calm. I wonder if there's something to do, like Rummy 22 having to do with Pelosi and this incident with Pelosi. This aircraft's out of San Francisco. Is there something to this? I checked with some other flight trackers I talked to, and one of them, CS, who's in my chat, um, and who is awesome at flight tracking, he said, Rummy is a pretty common um, call sign for aircraft that do long-range refueling for fighters. So the call sign isn't unusual. So there is that. You can put that there. That's not unusual um, for the call sign Rummy to be used. But it reminded me of the game Rummy. So I started look, asking people, all right, how many of you in my chat play the game Rummy? Are there any, you know, lingo in the game of Rummy that would, you know, fit well with the Pelosi incident or San Fran, you know? Like, is there anything that... that you could maybe make a connection there between some of the plays in Rummy. And we kicked a few ideas around. And then I thought, well, okay, that some of that kind of makes, could be something there, but not really convinced. And then I grabbed, did I pull it here? I thought about, I, I mentioned another uh, possible calm to Rick and he said, what you need to do with this other thing, it was totally separate from this one, was put a letter in place of the number. So 22 would be BB, okay? And I thought, well, on that same day, BB Netanyahu won his election in Israel. So I thought, hmm. Could be something there. But I ended, up, I ended up talking myself out of this, this calm, and I don't think it is one. But I wanted to go ahead and just present it because we know sometimes there are comms that are done with aircraft. And this one just stood out to me. And maybe there's something there. One of my chat members suggested, hey, you know, you know, you someone someone who's Drinking a lot of rum gets pretty rummy and they end up drunk. And we have the story about Paul Pelosi having a, uh, a bit of a drinking issue and also Nancy having a drinking issue. But I'm not sure how much of that stuff is actually uh, legit. I think that a lot of that is just narrative that's introduced there. But anyway, it just just something that I had prepared. Um, yes, Ron Fortis already on, is on it in Rumble chat. How about gin rummy, Pelosi and gin? Yeah, like, see... 
you can kind of run with it a little bit, but nothing confirmed. On the same day, there was also police respond to this trespassing call at, at Trump's Mar-a-Lago, and the Secret Service conducted a sweep. Um, so that was a bit unusual. My best theory about, or my best explanation about Trump being back, let me pull that TFR up again. So what I think is going on with this TFR is that it's winter and Trump is simply going to the winter white house. He's simply going back to his home at Mar-a-Lago and he's going to be there for the winter. And he hasn't been living there because it's been summer going into fall. He hasn't been living at Mar-a-Lago. Excuse me. And now he's moving back. So there's a temporary flight restriction because he's a former president and he's there. And not all former presidents have a temporary flight restriction over where they live. But Trump is a former president who happens to have a lot of enemies, such as the Iran National Guard and terrorist networks. So makes sense that there would be a TFR for him, right? So that's why I think it's this six-month one, is that he's basically said, hey, told the FAA I'm going to be living at Mar-a-Lago for the next six months. So they put up this TFR over Mar-a-Lago. I'm sure I would like to, I would love to make more of it than that. I would love to make it a much bigger deal than it just being for those reasons. But I think that's what it is. Uh, I, th I think that's, I think it's as simple as that. Time is it? All right. 830. All right. So, Elon started laying people off today. The story is that he's going to lay off somewhere around half of the people that work at Twitter. And I wouldn't be surprised if he laid off a lot more than that. I said the other day, I think that Elon's going to run Twitter with about half the people that it used to be run with. And he's going to make it pro I said, he's going to run it with one tenth the people. And I think that might be true. I, I, I think Elon is a cape, very capable businessman and he's perfectly capable of trimming down Twitter to about one tenth the employees it used to have contracting out what he needs from time to time for services and making Twitter profitable. And it started now. So I know people were getting pretty upset about Twitter being not being what they were, they were hoping like, I don't, I don't know why people got it in their head that Elon Musk buying it was going to instantly change. Twitter back to being what we want it to be. It's going to take time, but major steps happened today where he laid off a whole bunch of people or fired a whole bunch of people. Um, I saw some reporting that he might be at risk because of California laws and he's going to get sued for violating some law. He can't just fire that many people at once in California or something. My understanding is that some of them, if not all of them are going to be paid all the way till the end of January. So he's basically firing them and then saying also here's i'm going to pay you for their, i can't remember what that what that's technically called but um he's he's paying he's he's paying for them their salaries through the rest of the year um also in the event that he can get in trouble like with the law in california or like they're going to sue him because they shouldn't have he shouldn't have fired them on such short notice or something like that I think Elon Musk would just pay like he would just settle 
He doesn't care. He just wants to get rid of them so he can run the company the way he wants to run it. Ron Fortis, severance. That's it. Thank you for that. Severance. So yeah, I think he would just pay that. He's paying their severance. And if he has to pay a fine to California, fine. He'll just pay the fine and trim down Twitter, make Twitter the way he wants it to be. And then he's going to move it. He's going to move Twitter to Texas or somewhere else without a state income tax where he can run the company the way he wants it to run it. My favorite line in this, and it was uh, Paul Saren picked this out. I think it's in this one. The company said that in order to ensure safety of employees and sensitive data, the main offices would remain closed and all badge access is was suspended. Those on the way to the office should turn around and return home. It is also said that those still employed at the company would find out on their company email while those shown the door would get a notice on their personal email. Some workers had already begun to learn their fates and took to Twitter to say goodbye. He literally, like, he, they walked them out. They, they shut down the building and they were like, all right, bye, you're fired. You don't work here anymore. Don't come back. If you're on the way to work, just turn around because we're not going to let you in. And they shut down the entire building. Baller. <laughs> okay, I'm trying to remember these other ones. I want to make sure I finish before 9 o'clock because I want to send everybody over to... The uh, I know what I know what I'm gonna do next. What was UK Neil's post? Oh yeah, oh crap! This is a big discussion too. I got two big discussions, but I want to finish in 30 minutes. All right, I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna have to make this happen fast. Okay, I'm gonna want to do this one. All right. Okay, so Mean Gene One, I got in, he he posted this and UK Neil shared it and then I got in a bit of an argument about it with uh, I mean it was friendly with Chris Paul because Chris Paul thinks this is baseless but I I just feel like Chris Paul didn't really quite get what we were saying, um, but maybe he he genuinely did and and he just disagrees. Mean Gene One said, imagine a scenario. Where after the election, meaning this coming Tuesday, Crazy Nancy, Crying Chuck, and Sleepy Joe call on a GOP Congress to look into stolen midterm elections, forcing the GOP establishment to confront the very thing they did to Trump in 2020. And what he's, what he's putting down is that we have this election on Tuesday. All signs point to a massive red wave. Imagine we get that red wave. The Democrats aren't just going to accept it. They're not just going to accept that there was this red wave and they lost massively. They're going to claim that it was stolen. They're going to say the midterm elections were stolen. And then they're going to turn to a GOP Congress... 
and tell them it was stolen. And there's going to be two elements within the GOP. There's going to be the GOP establishment who took part in this deal in 2020. And in my opinion, are possibly more to blame for Trump losing in 2020 than the Democrats are. And then there's going to be the MAGA Republicans who are like, yeah, we know. There's a lot of election theft going on. We're glad you guys agree. Let's secure our elections. So we could have this scenario coming up where the Democrats are going to be crying that the election was stolen. The MAGA Republicans are going to be like, oh, yeah, so you guys care about elections integrity now and election security? And the GOP establishment is going to be like, uh... Uh, we like it that we won, but we don't want to look at any election security issues because they might find out that we cheat too. And so we had this discussion and, and, and me and Chris went back and forth with it and it's totally cool. Like Chris is great. Uh, he, he, he seemed to under, under, he seemed to take it as we were saying there was more control than what we're saying. My opinion is that this doesn't, I'm not even talking about any of these people being controlled or influenced or secretly white hats or anything like that. I'm not, I'm not posing that I'm saying their natural motivations are going to be to do that. And I think it's going to go something like this. The GOP wins big in the midterms. And then the Dems are going to cry, cry foul, and they're going to begin arguing that it was stolen after having spent two years telling us that no such thing happened in 2020. And then the GOP Congress now has power to investigate. But many in the GOP are complicit in the steal from 2020. So now we've got a total narrative flip, this massive, yeah, people on uh, Foxhole are typing it in the chat, boomerang. We have this narrative boomerang coming right back at not the Dems necessarily, but the GOP establishment. And they don't want to investigate themselves. And while that's going back on, that's going on, Trump and MAGA are going to be like, yo, this is what we have been saying about 2020 this entire time. Would you guys like to help secure our elections? So it's going to be this massive narrative flip for the audiences, the normies in the middle, even Republicans who think there was some cheating in 2020, but not enough to actually have changed the outcome. There's going to be this massive narrative flip and they're going to be left like, okay, now the party who has claimed for two years, there was no election fraud says there was election fraud when they lose. So We have people in both parties saying there's election fraud. Yeah, the Uniparty. Yeah, it's going to be the Uniparty is going to be trying not to look at it while everybody else is going to want to. So I think this is, something, I think this is going to happen. I really, I think this is coming up. This is what we're, this is what we're going to see happen over the next several weeks. And uh, I do believe, guys, I do believe that we're going to have a massive win next week or a series of wins. I think the red, well, I know the red wave is real. The red wave is real. We're going to have a massive red tsunami, but they're still going to try to cheat. 
Now, 20 plus, 20 plus states have changed their election laws. 20 plus states have done something to better secure their elections than they were two years ago, but not all states have. So I think that there's going to be some theft. I don't think we're going to win everything. I think we're going to have mixed results, but on the the sum on the balance of things, we're going to it's going to be a red wave and we're going to win and I think we're going to have control of Congress and the Senate. Okay? I think I think the House and the Senate are going to be under Republican control after the midterms. But I still think there's going to be cheating. I still think there's going to be fraud. So I would prepare yourselves for that, that there's, there's going to be, there's going to be wins, but there's going to be, there's going to be some shenanigans too. Yeah. Uh, Randy. Yeah. There's, there's tens of thousands of observers this time around. There's lots of GOP lawyers who are ready to, uh, argue for election integrity as things happen. I mean, we're on offense. I have full faith that we're going to win. Okay, uh, but I am also prepared for there being some shenanigans going on as well. Now, last thing I want to address, I've got 15 minutes, and this is important. It's important, and it also relates to something I've covered before uh, uh, several times. Cindy Lou on Twitter tagged me on this and later on it got posted on, um, on true social as well. This is a four minute clip. I'm going to just play it while I go quickly, get more coffee. And, um, yeah, I have the audio turned on this time. So y'all are going to be able to hear it. I believe anyway, it's not muted. Real important here. This is an Iranian whistleblower. This just got dropped in my lap a couple days ago. I'm going to go through this very quickly. I apologize. We're going to rush through it. But this is actually real. This is the whistleblower actually connecting in through a special tool that can be downloaded for free on the Internet, connecting to our voter registration database from where they are, pulling our records from the voter registration database. They're formatting them now into a, a nice format. They're copying and pasting. They're going to throw it right in here. So they have now extracted data from our voter registration database. This is in Alaska. Then they go to our government website to create a military ballot and watch them take the information from our voter registration database. This is, a, these are, this is a video from their system, and they did this, apparently, in the 2020 election. You're watching them, and this, it can be, this is automated, too. This is just slowed down to show manually doing it. This whole process can be very easily automated. Now, wait a minute. I was told that the 2020 election was the most secure election yes. in our lifetime. I think this guy might disagree with you, actually. <laughs> so there he is. Just He's selecting. There it is. Voting right now on the ballot. And this is using our system. They're manipulating our system from the outside. 
just created the PDF ballot. There it is, all ready to go right into our system. And the clerks and election officials, they don't know any different. They don't know that it came from this guy. And I don't know if you saw, well, I'll show you this folder. Let's see if I can pause that real quick here. It's kind of important here. And that was another one. There we go. Oh, I can get it here. Okay, look at that. Well, I've got very little bit of time, so I'm going to go through this really quickly. Here's a folder of PDF ballots right there, a big folder of them, okay? So I'm going to play the rest of it here. Okay, look at that. Colorado, Alaska. Look at all those states. There's 40 states of folders there. 134,728 PDF ballots sitting in the Alaska folder on this person's system. They didn't do just one. Where did this video come from, and, and does our gov does the federal government know about it? Um, I think they should know about it, and they're probably going to know about it real soon. This is the tool, SQL map. It's a SQL injection tool to get into the back end of the data. I got to point out right there, sorry for the delay in unmuting. Got to point out right there, he was asked specifically, where did this video come from? And he did not answer it. He didn't answer where it came from. That was a very basic question and an incredibly important question. But he didn't, he didn't answer. He didn't give any kind of answer to that database that's it you can download this tool online it's used by hackers for penetration testing this is what they used to get into our registration databases this is real get rid of every single computer system that manages our elections the only way to have free elections is to have 100 percent transparency in our elections and so there's no way we can use any computer system to give us free elections because every single citizen has to be able to understand and see every part of our election. And since every single citizen is not a computer programmer, you can't use computers. This has to be done on paper with paper poll books at the precinct, voting in person, tabulating it by us in our precincts. And at the precinct level, we sit and we share those results with the rest of our citizens at the precinct level. You add up all the precincts, you get your county. You add up all the counties, you get your state. You add up the states, and we get our federal. Very simple. The whole thing needs to be 100% transparent, or we cannot use it. Now, earlier in the video, while I was away getting coffee, he said something about it coming from Iranian, Iranian or Iranian hackers. But he, again, was asked, where did this video come from? And he gave no specifics for it. Now, I don't know the person talking. I know that this video is from this event, Florida Election Integrity Conference 2.0. It happened last weekend. If you go to this video and go all the way to about an six and a half hours in, you get to this panel. And this segment just now is in the last 30 minutes, okay? You can go and watch the entire thing 
It's um, ACCFEI.org. You can find this video. But this is what I got to tell you guys. There's a reason I showed this to you. Because so many of you just watched this video and you're absolutely convinced that it's real and all of that. And I'm sorry to tell you, I absolutely believe it's fake. I believe that it is absolutely fake. And the reason I believe that is because a year ago, I covered this indictment. And since a year ago, since this indictment, I've covered it several more times. And when I saw this video and they said Iranian, I said, wait a minute. Is this that same video that was in this indictment that's fake? And I was digging on it late last night. Um, I, <laughs> I should have been asleep. <laughs> little did I know how little sleep I would get last night. Uh, Right here, if you go and look at this indictment, this indictment is from two, for two Iranian nationals charged with cyber-enabled disinformation and a threat campaign designed to influence the 2020 U.S. presidential election. And lots of people made fun of this. Lots of people made fun of this indictment. I, I felt like I was very alone in talking about how serious this indictment was. And unfortunately, because it was Iran and it was the FBI, people decided to react because it wasn't an indictment of the Chinese for influence and it wasn't something else, you know? So, but when you read this indictment, you find out that these individuals, both from Iran, obtained confidential U.S. voter information from at least one state election website. Boom, election hacked. Right there, guys. Right there, the, the, the notion that there was zero foreign interference in the 2020 presidential election has been debunked right there. It happened on November 18th, 2021. The DOJ did it. They debunked the media's narrative and the GOP's narrative and the swamp's narrative, all of it. They debunked that narrative that there was no foreign interference. November 18th, 2021. And I feel like I'm the only person who paid attention to it. The other thing they did, besides breaking into at least one state's voter information, was they sent threatening emails to intimidate and interfere with voters. They created and disseminated a video containing disinformation about purported election infrastructure vulnerabilities. That's the video we just saw. I'm convinced of it. They also attempted to access without authorization several states' voting-related websites and successfully gained unauthorized access to a U.S. media's company's net computer network. The FBI used Executive Order 13848 to seize these Iranians' websites and take them down. As far as I know, this is the very first time that EO 13848 has been used. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole indictment. I've done that before on this show, and I've only got a few minutes left. But I just want to point out that they disseminated a video. They, they played both sides also which is what hostile actors, foreign actors often do, right? They 
put out disinfo and malinformation on both sides of the political spectrum to try and create as much discord and strife and friction as possible. So on the one hand, these, Ar these Iranians posed as Proud Boys and created fake videos and mailers and stuff and tried to intimidate Democrats. But on the other hand, they tried to do the exact opposite and convince Republicans that the election was completely illegitimate and was being stolen. They did both to try and to try and appeal to both sides of the you know polar opposites and to try and get people upset and to lose faith in the election and whatnot. Now I'm not trying remember, don't no binary thinking, no binary thinking. I'm not saying that the election was completely on the up and up. It was stolen from Trump. But these act these foreign actors did both. And this election video is covered right here. And I believe that is what we just watched. And this video is making the rounds. I don't know why I haven't seen it before. Or any of us haven't seen it before. I don't know if it was. I, I just don't know. I don't know why it's just now coming up. But it's making the rounds and it match all the characteristics of it. Um, I mean, it even says a serious security vulnerabilities in state voter registration websites to quote, edit mail-in ballots or even register non-existent voters. That's what you just saw in that video. So I really think that is this video. And, um, these are the Iranians. As far as I know, they're still at large, um, over in Iran. I checked this case, the case file, there hasn't been any updates in it since 2021. But then I also want to mention to you, one of the lawyers on this case is none other than attorney Adam Small, the RICO lawyer who Durham added to his special counsel in August. So this isn't, this is a very serious case. And it's not just these two individuals. There's no reason why I don't, they have Adam small on this case for a reason, or they did have him on this case for a reason. And then now he's with Durham. So, and I see, I see your comment check with, with, uh, Patel Patriot regarding this. Me and me, me and John have talked about this case and the use of this order. Yeah. We've talked about it before. So, Y'all are going to see this video going around, I'm sure. You're going to see it a lot more. And um, I believe this case is a lot bigger than what a lot of people have realized. I think that these Iranians were put up to this by some pretty swampy people. If you catch my drift. And I think this case is the beginning of something much bigger. But this video going around now... And that guy in this video not saying where he got it, not answering, that is a big red flag to me. Big red flag. I mean, he doesn't have to give exactly the details, but he could have given a... He just ignored the question. He just made one call. He was asked more than once, and one of the comments he said, this, we got this from an Iranian whistleblower. I think is what he said. 
something's something stinks about this video. And by the way, I see Twitter has added this disclaimer here since I bookmarked this last night that this might be disinformation. It links to the Treasury Department's indictment because along with this, the Treasury Department also sanctioned Iran over these actions pursuant to Executive Order 13848. And it mentions right here in the second paragraph, the United States identified attempted cyber-enabled intrusion by state-sponsored actors, including Iranian actors who sought to sow discord and undermine voters' faith in the U.S. electoral process. The actors also disseminated disinformation on social media and sent threatening emails, as well as a fraudulent video. The fake video was made in an attempt to undermine faith in the election by implying that individuals could cast fraudulent ballots. Now, yeah, that I, th I think this is a very rare, rare, rare occasion where a Twitter warning is spot on accurate. I think that's what this is. So be aware of it and also understand that the reason why a video like this would be created is to sow discord and disinformation on both sides of the political spectrum. And I was explaining this on Truth Social last night in the thread I was going back and forth on um, with someone or a few people. That the, the reason you would create a fake election video like this, if you were a, an, a hostile actor, is that you're putting out false information like this that's going to get trafficked around. And people are going to swear up and down. People who mean well, people who care about election integrity are going to share this video around not knowing that it's fake. And when it's proven that it's fake, it hurts their credibility and it hurts the credibility of the entire topic of election integrity. So imagine, imagine you take this one video to your normie friend who thinks there was no theft, the election, secure, the election was secure, right? You got this one normie friend who you think you can convince. So you show them this video and they watch it and they start thinking, oh man, you may be right about all these other things, right? And then they find out this video's fake because they see this indictment and this sanction. And then they're like, oh, wait. And that undermines the credibility of all your other claims about election integrity. And it undermines your own integrity or credibility. So that that's, that's how, that's how misdis and malinfo works is it damages the person's credibility and it damages the credibility of the topic overall. So, all right, guys, that is my show this evening. If you enjoyed it, please consider going to buymeacoffee.com slash just human, buying me a cup of coffee, or going to my Substack, justhuman.substack.com, and subscribing there. Let me see if I can pull up. I think they're going to be on a Patel show. So the next show, we got another show tonight, the friggin' Friday night show with Brad. Um, over on Patel Patriot, it's starting now. So if you guys are looking for something to watch, I recommend going over to Patel Patriot's Rumble page and checking out the friggin' Friday night show with uh, Brad Getz and Craig Mason. 
be pretty cool. So I appreciate you guys joining me on my show tonight. Sorry I missed this morning. Um, but yeah, it's good to get on here and go through some of this information. So thank you guys very much. Let me get the exit music ready. And over on Foxhole, thank you guys very much. I'm releasing the scratch-offs now. Everybody on Rumble, thank you for the Rumble rants. DLive, I got a few people over there on DLive. Thank you for all the cat <laughs> the cat gifts. <laughs> thank you guys very much. Everybody on Telegram, thank y'all as well. Appreciate y'all. Have a good weekend. Be blessed. Remember, we're not going to win every battle. We are going to win this war. Grab a friend, grab a family member. Make sure they go vote this coming Tuesday. See y'all.